Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How we doing? We good? Now listen, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I could tell when Pastor Trevor said the sun is out, your lack of enthusiasm told me what I'm about to get from you. And I need more than that, okay? The sun is out. There's vitamin D in the air. You should have more energy. You didn't even need coffee this morning. You didn't even need it. Some of you just are like, I'm tuning you out. If you say I don't need coffee. No, listen, it's exciting, right? The sun is out. We're glad you're here. So I'm going to say it like you've not heard it yet, and I want you to respond like you just won the lottery. Hey, did you know the sun is out today? Okay, no, wait a minute. If you won the lottery, that's what you would do. Uh, Okay, Uh, we'll just leave it there. Hey, we're glad you're here today. We're excited that you're here. We're always thankful that you're here. You heard it just a minute ago, but next Sunday starts our brand new spring service schedule. So we go to 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And I know some of you, you're in the 11 o'clock service, and so you're thinking, it's 11.30 right now, 11.31. So you're thinking, yeah, this is just the service that I would be attending, so you're coming. Some of you, though, you're thinking, well, I want to get out a little bit earlier, so I'm going to come to the 10, and that's fine too. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you if there's no reason not to for you to come at 8.30, right? Now, when I said that at 9.30, some of them were like, yeah, I could probably do that. That's not that much earlier. Some of you are like, no, I haven't been up at 8.30 in months. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You can't make me. What if I bribe you, okay? What if I bring whole donuts? Like, what if I had donuts? Some, some of you are like, no, not doing it. Okay. What it, no, that's all I got. I just got donuts. So 8.30 is where I need you to come. Here's the reason why. I need to free up some seats at 10 and 11.30. We believe our guests are coming. They continue to come uh, at those optimal service times. And so we're asking you to come if you can at 8.30. Next Sunday is eight weeks until Easter. Eight weeks until Easter Sunday, which is the third Sunday of April. Next week starts that eight-week stretch leading us to Easter. And so I'm asking you if there's no reason not to, not like you just slept in or you want to sleep in. I woke all three of my sons up today. They wanted to come uh, early with me. And so it was funny because I woke Cooper up. He's our oldest. I said, hey, Coop, it's time to get up. Let's go. And he was like, oh, Dad, I'm so tired. Um, can I just have two more minutes? I was like, okay, all right. So then I went to Branson. I was like, Branson, hey, wake up. It's time to go. Are you going with me? And he was like, oh, man, I'm, Dad, I'm, I'm exhausted. Can I please have two more minutes? I was like, okay, yeah. So then I went to Tucker, and I was like, hey, Tucker, are you coming with me? You ready to go? And he was like, oh, Dad, I am so tired. Can I please have two more minutes? I was like, y'all are related, all right? So then I went back to Cooper. I got him up. I got Branson up. I got Tucker. So some of you, you just need somebody to wake you up. And if you need that, Pastor Trevor's going to make phone calls next Sunday morning. <laughs> Whatever time you tell him, he's going to automate an alarm. Hey, rise and shine. Be at the 830 service. We have donuts. So we'd love to have you here. Here's what we're asking you to do. We need 80 people or so for eight weeks to commit to 830. That's really what we're looking for. Because we believe if we can get 80 people to 830, that that will open up seats for the guests that will want to come and be a part of our services, not to feel like there's not space for them and for their family. And here's what I believe. I don't want to over-spiritualize it. I really don't. I'm not trying to manipulate you, but here's what I am saying. Over the next eight weeks, here's what I believe. I was praying during our 21 days of prayer and fasting for the three services that we knew were coming. And here's what I believe. Over the next eight weeks, somebody is going to come in at a 10 o'clock service or an 1130 service, and they're going to sit in your seat that you're sitting in right now. 
And the Lord's going to capture their heart. He's going to change their life. He's going to forgive their sins. He's going to restore their marriage. He's going to bring them and their children back together. He's going to change their eternity for generations. That Their family will never be the same because you gave up your seat and they get to sit there. And so I'm asking you, if you can, if there's no reason not to, I need 80 people to meet me at 8.30. I'll be there, okay, eating donuts. I will be there at 8.30, 80 people, eight weeks, 8.30. All right, so that's what I need you to do. Hey, today we are concluding this series of L words, which we've been in over the last few weeks. Three weeks ago, we talked about the idea of lust, and we read a really interesting and very difficult story from Scripture. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. And what we said is that here at Canton Church, we don't just read the stories we agree with. We don't just read the stories that are easy and comfortable for us to read. We, we read the whole Bible. We believe the whole Bible. It's God's Word. And so we, we read that story, and we talked about what lust is and what lust is not. The next week, my wife, Corey, came and joined me, and we, we shared this, this kind of six attributes of people that are in loving relationships. What is love? What does love look like? How is our culture really distorted what we think? love is. And then last week we talked about loneliness. And I know so many of you have kind of responded in some way. Some of you, you lifted your hand last week to say, hey, I am lonely. I want you to know I prayed for you this week. Others of you, you've expressed that in other ways throughout the week. You've kind of reached out to say, hey, here's what I'm walking through. Here's what I'm experiencing. What we said last week is that loneliness is not just about being single. Loneliness is not just about not being in right relationship with somebody, having a lot of friends. We believe loneliness kind of supersedes that. And so we talked about how we deal with that and and what scripture really says to us about the topic of loneliness. And today we want to conclude this series looking at the idea of loss. How many of you would be just brave enough to admit that when you have driven your car before, at least one time in the past, that you got lost? Anybody want to be brave about that? Some of the husbands are like, nope, not going to admit it, never will, not going to happen, not with my wife sitting next to me, I'll never do that, we're just taking the scenic route. So I, I recognize that. I put the address in the GPS apps on my phone now, even if I know where I'm going, because I want to know where the cops are at, I want to know what traffic, not because I'm speeding, because other people are, but the idea, I want to know where I'm headed, and so I don't get lost as much anymore, but here's my problem, so often when the GPS says, turn right in 0.2 miles, I'm like, that's not the fastest way, and then I avoid it, and I just keep going straight, and then it has to reroute me and redirect me, and sometimes I end up a little bit out of the way, and so uh, some of you have experienced that. How many of you would admit you've ever lost your keys, Right? Is that not one of the most frustrating human experiences ever? You had your key. You drove your car into your garage. Your car's there, but your keys aren't, right? That is so incredibly frustrating. I have this one spot in my house where I always hang my keys, except when I don't. And I can't figure out when they're not there where they are. Like I'm trying, like I I always hang them there. Now my keys aren't lost. I am. I don't even know where to look. I can't figure out where I laid them down. I check my dresser. I check in the pant pockets that I was wearing before. I just don't know where I left my keys. How many of you have ever lost your cell phone? Doesn't that feel like you're dying? Just all the oxygen's being sucked out of the room right then. You just don't even know how to live life. And you're not, in our house, that happens a lot. It's not because I lose it. It's not because Corey loses it. It's because the kids have our phones, And so they'll be playing a game or doing something or whatever, and I go to get my phone or I need my phone, and I can't find it. And I'm like, hey, you know, Tucker, where's my phone? He's like, I don't know. I was like, how do you not, you were just holding it. How do you not know where my phone is? And so we have like the premium subscription to find my iPhone. I don't know if you know what this this is. It's a part of our our, kind of app there where we can actually log in and see all of our devices and then tap on one. And as long as it's not dead, which is kind of a 50-50 shot, but as long as it's not dead, 
it'll, it'll kind of make a noise. So I can't tell you how many times in our house I have made this statement. Everybody be quiet. Be quiet. Shh. I'm pinging my phone. Shh. Shh. It's under the couch. Go, go, go. It's under the couch. It's under. And then we take off running and we're trying to find it. And like, that is what we do all the time because we've lost our phone. We've lost our keys. We've been lost in our car. But maybe it's bigger than that. Some of you, you know what it's like to lose a job. You know what it's like to lose a friend. You know what it's like to lose other relationships in your life. Some of you, you know what it's like to lose a marriage. You know what it's like to lose a loved one. They passed away. They're they're no longer able to take your calls. You can't do vacation together. Like, you know what loss feels like. And so we want to talk about that a little bit today. Every week I've kind of found a definition that I believe serves us well. And today I want us to look at this definition for the word loss. It is the fact or process of losing something or someone. Now, I normally hate definitions that use part of the same word to define it. But the idea here is that it's the fact or the process of losing something or someone. I love this idea because there are some times that it's like the fact. You lost your job. You went in on Tuesday. You had a job. On Wednesday, they want you to stay home forever because you lost it. It's a fact. You lost it. It's, it's done. It's a fact. They told you it's done. It's a fact. But then there's also these things that are like the process of losing. We're a sports family. We watch a lot of sports in our house. And so when our team is playing, and really we have a team in every game, right? It's the team we're cheering for, or we find a reason to root against one of the teams. And so we're cheering for one of those teams, except Tucker. Tucker has never lost ever in his life because he always cheers for the team that's winning. That's what he tells us. And so he's never lost. Like he'll be cheering for one team, the other team takes the lead. He's like, now I'm cheering for them. Like he's never lost. That's kind of a really neat and interesting, profound way to live your life. But we, we live, we watch these games. And if it's our team, there comes a point at the end of those games right before the game is actually over, where one of the kids will say to me, Dad, you think we've lost? Is it over? Have we lost? They're not asking, is it a fact that we lost? Because there's still time on the clock. They're saying, are we in the process of losing? Like, it is, is it a done deal? And some of you, you're walking through that right now. You're in the process of losing something. You can feel this relationship slipping away from you. You, you can feel your marriage ending somebody's gotten a bad doctor's report after a bad doctor's report after a bad doctor's report, and you don't feel any hope and any reason to believe that there's any chance this is going to end any way other than them passing away. It's, it feels like a fact, but it's really just the process of losing. And no matter what your experience has been, I recognize that all of us bring a little different understanding of the idea of loss to the table today. And so I wanted us to really look at what what I believe are the three different components of loss, three different experiences of loss. I recognize there may be others. I think most concepts of loss fit into these three categories, but maybe there's something else you've experienced or are experiencing that maybe fits in something else that we're not going to talk about today. But I believe these three categories of loss, they overlap enough. There's enough similarity. There's enough commonality that we'll be able to kind of find some things in common across the board. But then there's also some very distinct things that I think will help us to differentiate today. The first of them is a loss of opportunity, a loss of opportunity. Now, when I talk about this, here's the deal. This could be a lot of things. Pretty much what I mean by this is any loss that's not related to a person or a relationship. 
So I'm not talking about divorce. I'm not talking about death. I'm not talking about the best friend that you're no longer friends with. I'm talking about almost everything else that you could lose. I'm talking about losing the job. I'm talking about losing out on the promotion. I'm talking about losing money on the deal. I'm talking about losing out on the opportunity to go on the trip, go on the thing. Like I'm talking about all of those things that we could do in our lives, but we lose them. We lose that chance. We lose that opportunity. We don't actually have that experience anymore. And when we think about that, when we think about the job and the money and the promotion and the chance, I really think for all of us, what's happening is it's not that we're losing out on our reality. We're losing out on the hope of the future reality. And here's what I mean. Yes, you may have lost your job, but what you actually lost was the paycheck that was coming a week from now or two weeks from now or a month from now or the steadiness of that paycheck every week or every other week or every month moving forward. Like, yes, you lost your job, but you actually just lost a place to go tomorrow for compensation. It wasn't that you lost today. It's the hope of tomorrow that you lost. It's the hope of the next paycheck and the next week and the, the, the bonus or the raise or the whatever it is that you've connected to that job. If you lost money, it wasn't that you probably lost actual money. It was that you lost out on the future earnings of that money or the future spending of that money. It was the hope of how you would spend that money that you lost. And maybe you had $20 and then you look down and you lost $20. But again, what you lost was a piece of paper, and the reality is that you lost the hope. You lost the value of how that $20 would be spent. And so when I think about that, and I think about these opportunities and these hopes and these realities, I recognize that for most of us, then we try to figure out, well, then how do I come back from that? What's my next step? 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, if we're not careful, if we just started reading it somewhere in this line here or at the dashes, we would think that he hears us and whatever we ask, we have. But the first part of this text says that we ask for anything according to his will. And so the challenge then is to, to determine the will of God. To uh, A fancy word here, my uncle would call this a $2 word to discern the will of God. My son Branson and I were talking about this not too long ago. How do you know the will of God? How do you know the voice of God? Well, that's a larger question than we have time to fully unpack today. We're gonna to talk about that a little bit in the series we're gonna do this summer. But here's what I want you to know. I think we have to put ourselves in situations where we hear the voice of God so that when the voice of God is speaking to us, we recognize it. If we never put ourselves in a position where we're reading God's word, praying to God, listening to God, listening and participating in worship, putting ourselves in spiritual conversations where somebody says something and there's something in our spirit that just rises up and go, yeah, that's for me. I believe that's the Lord speaking to me and speaking to my circumstance and speaking to my situation. Then when we're trying to determine the will of God for our lives or how to move forward in a certain situation, we don't even recognize the voice of God because the other voices have drowned him out. The other voices that are so loud in our lives. And so we don't even know what God's voice sounds like. So then we go, okay, God, what is your will? Well, we immerse ourselves in God's word. We immerse ourselves in moments of prayer in corporate and personal worship, and spiritual and faith conversations. And we say, okay, God, would you speak to me? Would you help me to learn your voice? It says that his sheep know his voice. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be learning 
the voice of God. And when we learn the voice of God, we begin to determine the will of God. Now, what that doesn't mean is that God is going to show you every step from now until you die. Because I think so often we would get distracted by what is way out there and we would miss what's right in front of us. So often what God does is he reveals to us just enough for us to take the next step of trust and faith in him. It's like riding in your car. If I understand the science of of light technology, light is something that travels forever. That's why they talk about the speed of light. It actually goes forever. But the way that they have conditioned the headlights of our car, it only illuminates a few feet in front of us. Because it's not that the headlights need to reveal to us all the way 20 miles in front of us to our destination. Because if I was looking at my destination and trying to find a parking spot at lunch, I would rear end the car in front of me. So the headlights only illuminate enough for me to move forward just a few feet so that I can take the immediate next step in life. And so often when I am looking for the will of God, I'm looking for the big picture. God, what do you want me to do and what do you want me to be for the rest of my life? And God's saying, here's what I want you to do tomorrow. Here's what I want you to do this afternoon. Here's what I'm asking you to accomplish in the next 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes. And there are other times that God gives us a picture of the larger story. But we're always asking for more, more, more. God, show me more. God, give me more. Give me your entire will for my life. Give me the entire story. Show me the ending of the story. And God's saying, I can't show you the end of the story yet. I just need you to see this page. And then when we get that, we go, okay, God, now that I know your will, I want to pray your will over my life. I want to pray that you would direct me. I want to pray that you would give me the ability to trust you And then as we ask those things, we believe that he hears us and that he allows us to walk into those realities. So when you have a loss of opportunity, sometimes, sometimes, it's not actually a loss because what you're losing was not a God opportunity. It was just a good opportunity. It was just something that you walked into. And so we go, okay, well, I lost it. It still doesn't make it feel any better But maybe there's the opportunity for me to ask the question, okay, God, what do you want me to learn? And the question becomes, okay, God, as I'm asking you that, maybe what I need to learn is that I walked into this without you. I walked into this opportunity that I just lost on my own. I was pursuing something that wasn't of you. I was chasing something that wasn't of you. It may not have even been sin, but I was pursuing something that wasn't what you were calling me to. And so, God, what do you want me to learn? Maybe it was... I had you in that for a season, and now I've got something different. You had to lose that to be able to step into something else because if he asked you to quit that, you wouldn't do it. And so somebody had to take you out of it because you wouldn't get out of it yourself, perhaps. And so you ask that question, God, what do you want me to learn? And then the next question that I think is so important in moments of lost opportunity is, God, what's next? What's next? So many of us become paralyzed in our loss of opportunity that we don't even look for what's next. Now, this is not me being self-help and saying, when God shuts a door, he opens a window. I mean, I believe that, I think. But I know a lot of people that have had some doors shut and they can't find the window to save their life. And so we go, God, what is it that you want me to do next? It may be that you stand still. It may be that you need a season of rest. You need a season of refocusing and repurposing. It may mean that you spend some more time focusing on your relationship with him or your relationship with your family before you jump into something next that may cause you to be distracted and miss what God is trying to teach you in this season. One of my favorite television shows in the history of television is the show West Wing. It's a political drama. I love politics and not the present stuff. It makes me nauseous kind of what's happening now, but all the stuff that's going on. But the idea that politics and government and history and law, like I love it. 
And so I love the show West Wing, and it's several seasons long over the course of the time that it's been on the, or it was on the air back in the late 90s into the early 2000s, and then all the ways that they have it now. I've watched the whole entire series a couple of different times, and I love it. And again, not just for the, not really for the politics at all, just for the character development, the interplay there in the White House, the West Wing, the Oval Office. And one of my favorite parts about that show is that the president, who's played by Martin Sheen, he always asks at the end of whatever it is they've been working on to his staff, what's next? What's next? We, we could have just kind of gone out of, and, and diverted some kind of nuclear disaster. What's next? Or we could have picked a new carpet color for the other side of the building. What's next? So often when we lose the opportunity, we miss the what's next because we're paralyzed in the season of loss. And so we say, God, what can I learn? And God, what's next? I think the second type of loss that many of us could relate to is the loss of relationship, the loss of relationship. Now, I don't mean in this death, but I'm talking about here, some of you, you've walked through the loss of relationships in your life. You divorce, friendships that have ended, other types of relationships that you thought would be forever, and, and they just weren't, and you can't really figure out why, and you can't figure out how you got here, or maybe you know how you got here, but you're not sure how to fix it. You're not sure what to do next with what's happened to you in the relationships of your life. Well, last week, we talked about this just briefly, but we talked about the idea that some relationships are for a reason, some for a season, and some are for life. Some relationships are for a reason, some for a season, and some are for life. But the problem is we, we tend to take all of our relationships and put all of our relationships in one bucket. We think they're all going to last forever at the same level they are now. Well, that's not possible. You can't keep giving all that you're giving to every relationship you have forever or you're going to stay still you're never going to progress. You're never going to grow because you're going to have the same influence. There's going to be people that come into your life for the next season or to prepare you for the next season. There are some people that are in your life just for a specific reason. And when that reason is fulfilled, they're going to be out of your life. And that's not bad. That's the way that God works through relationships. But there's other people that are in your life for life. And so when we talk about the loss of relationships, we really need to recognize that not every relationship is created equal. It doesn't mean that you start categorizing it. I know there are some people, I had somebody tell me after the 930, they were, they were listening to me talk about that, and they go, yeah, I think I've got everybody kind of figured out which ones are reasons, which ones are seasons, and which ones are life. I go, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that, because here's the deal. You're going to go up to somebody and go, yeah, you're just in my life for this season. They're like, oh, my God, I thought you were in for life. You know, it's going to create some turmoil there, so don't do that. I encourage you, don't do that. But I do think that you need to begin thinking through the concept of relationships in these different buckets, is it reasons or seasons or life? And when I think about these relationships, I'm drawn to this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, says this. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Sicily, uh, uh, strengthening the churches there. When I think about Paul, I think about Saul on the road to Damascus. When I think about Paul, I think about church planting, and I think about him confronting the people there in Athens in Acts chapter 17. I think about his missionary journeys, and I think about his house arrest, and I think about his time in jail. I think about all those things. 
I don't think about his relationship with Barnabas ending. Like, he and Barnabas were, were buddies. They were ministry partners. And yet, when it came time to make the next decision, Paul and Barnabas were in agreement about what they should do. We should go visit all the churches we planted and see how we can encourage them. But then Barnabas said, I want to bring John Mark with me. And Paul's like, no way. John Mark's dead to me. When we needed him, he was a no-show. He's out. Barnabas is like, no, no, no. John Mark's a good dude. We need to bring him with us. This is important. Let's, let's give him another chance. Paul's like, no, I'm not doing it. And it got so heated that Barnabas was like, okay, so much do I believe in John Mark that I'm willing to leave you. And Paul's like, well, so much do I not believe in John Mark. I'm willing to let you leave. And so Barnabas took John Mark and went that way. And Paul took Silas and went that way. And you know what? It was okay. The gospel was advanced. Churches were planted. Believers came, non-believers came to be believers. It was okay. There are some people in your life who will not make the whole journey with you. That's okay. It's okay. Because some are for a reason, some are for a season, and some are for life. So how do we learn from the relationships that we have? How do we determine if it's lost or if there's just a glimmer of hope? How do we determine if we've been knocked down or we've actually been knocked out in this relationship? Because some relationships, it's just okay for us to go our separate ways. Now, when I say that, some of you immediately think back to potentially a divorce in your past or a divorce that you're walking through right now. And here's what I would say to you about divorce. I would say two things. There's a lot of things we could say in this moment. But some of you, you, you feel like that divorce was the end. You're not really sure why. You're not really sure how. But it was like one or the other of you said, I don't love you anymore. I don't feel it anymore. I'm out. Maybe you were shocked when they served papers to you. They filed. Maybe you were the one that did that. I don't know. But you're not really sure how you got here. Maybe you recognize you played a role in this, but you're not really sure how you move forward. And I would say for some of you, not everybody, I'm going to talk to some other folks in a minute. For some of you, divorce was just the way out in that moment, but it does not have to be final for you. Some of you, you got divorced, but there's actually another story that God wants to write, and it could be the reconciliation of that relationship back together. I'll do the ceremony. Let's do it. Let's, let's tell the incredible redeeming story of God's grace and his love towards you and your spouse. When you thought it was over, God said it wasn't. That could be the reality for somebody in this room. I believe that. There are others of you, you recognize how you got here is that someone betrayed trust. Someone was unfaithful. Someone lied, someone cheated, someone abused, someone hurt. And so you know exactly how you got here. You're just not sure why it happened to you. And I would say to you today that divorce doesn't have to be final for you either. That there can be another love story in your future and God can redeem that and make it even better than what you imagined in your past. It could be that you're already in that. It could be that you're now seeking that. And I want to give you permission to believe that God has something better for you. Because there, there could be the loss of relationship that has you paralyzed about what to do next. Well, let me just say for some of you, the what to do next is you need to say, I'm sorry. It could be your fault. Even if you are only 5% responsible and they're 95% responsible, you've still got to own 100% of your 5%. You understand what I'm saying? That's confusing math. But I got to own all of my part. I've got to own everything that's my responsibility. And so I may have to pick up the phone and say I'm sorry or tell them in the lobby today, it was my fault. And you, you may have to do that. You may have to just say, hey, I'm sorry. For some of you, you may have to forgive even if they don't ask. 
You may have to release them from the hurt that they've caused you even if they haven't asked you to release them yet because you are paralyzed by the hurt that they inflicted on you and they don't even know you're hurting that bad. And it could be that the next step for you out of the loss of relationship is that you let them go so that you can move forward into what is next. And so as we talk about loss of relationship, here's what I would say. Don't walk away from someone God has brought to you, but don't try to hold on to someone God's moving away from you. Don't try to hold, don't walk away from someone God has brought to you. God brought them to you. Hold on to them. This is, it doesn't mean that every day is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be just all amazing and you're going to just feel all the warm fuzzies all the time. You're always going to get along. You have everything in common. That's not what I'm talking about. But if God brought them to you, don't walk away from that. God has them there for a reason, for a season, or for your life and hold on to that relationship. But for some of them, you're trying to hold on to them and God's trying to move them out. Let them go. Because it could be that as you hold on to them, you're missing what God has next for you. And so you discern, you distinguish, you listen for the voice of God. And if you're not sure what the voice of God is saying to you, you go to that wise, godly person in your life and you say, here's what I think God is saying. Here's, Here's what I feel like God may be saying to me. I'm not quite sure, but here's what I think. What do you think? God will never contradict himself. And so we say, okay, God, I believe this is what you're saying. I've discerned it. I've distinguished it. I believe it. I'm gonna walk it out. The third type of loss is the loss of a loved one. Some of you, you've experienced loss and tragedy and pain and heartache in very real ways. Some of you know part of my story. Others of you, you're newer here than the most recent time I've told part of this. But 2009 in the spring, my mom was having some stomach pain. My dad took her to the hospital. They removed her appendix, which was inflamed. They sent her home and said, hey, you'll feel better. She went home. She didn't feel better. Her pain got worse. And so my dad took her back to the hospital a few weeks later, and they said, hey, your, your appendix was bad, but what's even worse is your gallbladder. And so they, they decided, we're going to take your gallbladder out. At this point, we just thought they were making stuff up. It was like meteorologists. They're just guessing, right? I, I digress. I'm sorry. So we thought, okay, they're going to take the gallbladder out. Then she'll feel better. And they were preparing for surgery on a Friday morning. They lived in Ohio. I lived here in Atlanta. I was playing golf on that Friday morning, and the doctor that was going to do the surgery had done one more test in pre-op, and he's getting the results of that test as he's going into surgery. So he decides instead of just removing the gallbladder, he's going to do some exploratory elements of the surgery. And so he goes in, he comes out and delivers the news to my dad. My dad tries to call me and my brother. I didn't get it. My phone was in my golf bag. So eventually, because it was supposed to take, it was supposed to happen much later in the day. And so eventually, Corey gets a hold of me. My dad has told her the news, and she, she delivers the news to me that what the surgeon said in his words is that it was one small single tumor. That's exactly what he said. I left the golf course. I went straight to the Atlanta airport. I flew to Ohio as we were preparing for what they described was going to be a very simple surgery on Monday to remove the one small single tumor. So all week long, all weekend long, we're, 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 we're kind of panicked. We're trying to figure it out, but the doctors kept assuring us, it's no big deal. We've done this surgery hundreds of times. On Sunday evening, I was rolling my mom's uh, hospital bed down to, with, with the nurse and the doctor there, but we were going down to, for her to have some x-ray type stuff done to prepare for the surgery on Monday. And the doctor just kept assuring her and assuring me, this is no big deal. It's simple. I've done it hundreds of times. It's one small, single tumor. Monday morning, we get up, we go to the hospital, prepare for surgery. They roll her back. We've prayed with her. We've you know, set our peace. They roll her back. We go to the waiting room to prepare for what we were told was about a five or six hour surgery. 
The doctor called us 20 minutes later. If you've ever been there, you know that's a bad thing. He comes to the waiting room. He meets with our family. He said, it's not one small single tumor. It's cancer, stage four, and it's everywhere. I remember what it felt like in that waiting room. the, The room started spinning in a way that I had never experienced before. I didn't, know, I didn't know what in the world to think. And so he goes back in. He does the best he can do in surgery. She goes home to recover. After her recovery, her and my dad start seeking treatment options. They were there at Akron General Hospital. They just never really could get comfortable with the treatment plan that they were proposing, so they sought some second opinions. They ended up just outside of Chicago, Illinois, at Cancer Treatment Center of America. Had a wonderful experience for nearly two years there. Mom got a port installed. They began doing chemotherapy treatment. She was a fighter. She was strong, stronger than she thought she was, stronger than we thought she was. She fought hard for 22 months. In February of 2011, she was readmitted to the hospital. The treatment wasn't seeming to work anymore. She was getting worse. And so Corey and I had flown to uh, Ohio, and we were were there in the hospital. And some point during that two-year journey, my dad had said to my mom, she, she had asked it, but my dad had said, I promise you, you won't die in a hospital. That's what she wants. She did not want to die in a hospital. He said, I promise, the best of my ability, I won't, I won't let you die in the hospital. So I'm at the hospital by myself one morning. Mom is in her room there. She had not really been coherent for several days. She had begin, begun to get worse and worse, and we recognized that. And so the doctor was making her rounds. She was a wonderful doctor and just cared for our mom so well. And so I said to her that, that morning, Everybody else was kind of gone to get something to eat. It was kind of my moment to be there to help. And so I said to the doctor, I said, if this was your mom, if you had made the same promise we made not to let her die in the hospital, when would you take her home? She said, today. I said, okay, now we know. Picked up the phone. I called my dad. I said, today's the day. So we started working with hospice. We got her home. They had told us to expect that she would live maybe a few hours, up to a day or so. She lived 11 more days. We felt like it was God's gift to us, gifted us these extra days of time. And what was so crazy is while she was in the hospital, she was incoherent. She couldn't really speak to us. But when she got home, we put a keyboard in her room. We were playing these old gospel songs that she loved to sing, and she'd perk up in the bed and start singing with us. She would hold our babies, hold their hand. It was amazing the 11 days that we experienced with her. And then on March the 2nd, so we're just about six days away, eight years ago, 2011, she passed away. I remember what those final moments felt like. I was, I was laying on the bed beside her. I'm a mama's boy, unapologetically. I remember what it felt like. I remember where I was. I remember what I was thinking. I remember the last thing I said. I remember. I could take you back right now. I've experienced the loss of someone that I loved. But here's, here's, here's what happened. I, I walked out of that moment. A few days later, I helped my dad and my brother to preach her funeral. And you don't know what to say. If, if you've ever experienced it, like you don't know what to say because you don't know what you're feeling. It all feels like the world's spinning. And we had these well-intended people that would come to us and say to us, and man, they meant it so well. I wasn't mad at them, but they would come in those lines as we were there at the funeral and they would say to us, don't be sad. You'll see her again in heaven one day. I wasn't sad that I knew where she was for eternity. I was sad she wouldn't be at dinner that night. So I would just thank you so much. Thank you so much. Here's what I recognized in that season. 
the loss that I was experiencing wasn't the loss of her physical body right then. It was the loss of the future memories. That Thanksgiving, we got together with our family and her side of the family. And just before we cut the turkey and we prayed the prayer, my uncle said this. I asked him to put it on the screen so you could see it. I thought this was so profound. He said, we are never more aware of her absence. Her absence is never more obvious than when we are all present. Her absence is never more obvious than when we are all present. It was that moment where we recognized like she would be here. But she's not. that's the loss we felt, that she wasn't in that moment. The fact is that I've lost the memories of the last eight years, moments she would have been there, moments that she would have been in this room, moments she would have been at birthday parties, and she would have been at special events, and she would have been on. That's the fact. I've lost that. I didn't lose my mom. I still have a mom. I lost the fact of the last eight years. I'm in the process of losing the memories of the next 30 years. Does that make sense? Like it's the loss of what we've experienced since her passing, and it's the process of the loss of what we will experience that she won't be at that she would have been. That's the loss. And when I think about that and I recognize so much of what we're walking through, here's what I experienced. I'm not saying this about anybody in the room that has ever walked through tragedy of any kind. Here's what I recognized about me. The loss was magnified because of my assumptions. I assumed she would just live until she was old, and she didn't. She passed away about five and a half weeks before her 49th birthday. I just assumed she would just get old, and then she'd die. There was nowhere in the story that I was writing about her life that my assumption was that she would die young. It was the assumption that made it sting worse because there was no sense of anticipation. Now, there are countless books and stories and country songs that tell you to live like you're dying. That's not what I'm telling you today. What I'm telling you is that Proverbs 27.1 is true. It says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. I'm not saying this to feed your fears. I'm saying we're called to live without assumption. You can't assume tomorrow. You can't assume you'll get the job. You can't assume you'll keep the job. So you just work hard today to honor who God is in your life today. You can't assume that you will keep the marriage even though you're treating them like dirt because they won't leave. No, no, no. You treat them to show them that you want them to stay. We don't assume that we'll have this relationship forever. So we invest the best of who we are in this relationship today because they may only be in our life for a season or for a reason or maybe for life and we want to tell this story a long time from now. It was my assumptions that made it worse. And so my challenge to you today is that if you've lost opportunity or you've lost relationship or you've lost a loved one, to take full advantage of today and to lean in today and to say you're sorry today and to say I forgive you today and to say I love you today because you don't know what you'll lose tomorrow. 
I'm not trying to scare you. I promise. After the first service, my kids were scared to death. I'm going on a trip tomorrow. They're like, oh my God, don't go. I promise. Here's what I'm saying. In my phone, there's my mom's contact. There are moments when something happens. You know what my natural response is? Oh, I got to call mom. Some of you have experienced that. You've walked that out. You know what that feels like. So I just don't live by assumption. I live with intentionality. God, give me the grace to live today to the fullest. God, give me the grace to hold tightly to the opportunities that are your opportunities and to release those opportunities that are just good opportunities. God, help me to lean into the relationships that I'm in now, whether they're for a reason, for a season, or for life, because they're the relationships I have now. And God, as you bring new relationships, let me embrace them fully with who I am. And as you take people away from my life in this season, let me let them go well. And God, to the people that I have in my life that I love with all of my heart, let me tell them I love them. Let me call them more often. Let me drop the busyness of my life to spend time with them more often because I don't want the fact or the process of loss in the future to make me regret the moments of today. That's how we deal with loss. We just don't live by assumption. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. Just a chance for you and the Lord to do some soul searching. If you would say to me, you know, you've talked about it a couple of times, Jeremy, and I I think for me, the obvious next step is to ask him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm not in relationship with him. The promise of Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, that he would comfort those who mourn. I can't really be sure that I can hold to that reality because I'm not in relationship with him. And so I, I desire relationship with Jesus Christ, that he would forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I've experienced loss, and I'm asking the Lord to help me, whatever it is, loss of opportunity, loss of relationship, loss of a loved one. I'm asking for the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be real in my life. I'm asking for God to teach me what I need to learn. I'm asking for God to reveal the what's next. I'm asking for God to help me to embrace present relationships and to release those who may be coming out of my life. But whatever it is, I'm just asking God to be with me as I mourn loss. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Tons of hands. God, would you be present in this room now as we know you are? It's a redundant prayer. You're here. Your presence is here. It's been here. God, I ask you now to save those, forgive those who have acknowledged their need for you. Thank you, God, for who you are. God, we can't forgive sins. I can't do that, but you do. And so, God, thank you that you've changed eternity for some folks in this room today. We celebrate with heaven now for eternities being changed. And God, now I pray for every person who lifted their hands to ask for your help to deal with loss of some kind. Whatever that loss is, whatever that loss was, I don't know, but God, you do. And so for loss of opportunity, help us to learn what we need to learn and to find what you have next for us. 
God, for loss of relationship, help us to lean into the relationships we have and let go of those you may be moving on. God, let us to love well and be a good friend. God, let us to forgive quickly and to release the hurts quickly. And God, for those that have lost loved ones, I pray, God, that you would comfort them, whether it was today, eight years ago, or 40 years ago. The pain is still real. God, be with us. Comfort us. Give us your peace that passes all understanding. And God, let us all move into our tomorrows with intentionality and not to live by assumption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 